Welcome back to another episode of Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all of the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning the Marvel films and TV shows. Uh, our panel today is our usual crew. We've got Adam. What's going on, guys? I'm on Twitter at Adam Barnhart. Barnhart is spelled B-A-R-N-H-A-R-D-T. Hey, guys. I'm on Twitter as Brooklyn Wallace, and, Wallace, and my handle is Shot of Patron. So if you don't find me there, then I finally made the jump and changed it to Brooklyn Wallace. And I'm Caleb. I'm at Caleb A. Borchers. Uh, every week at the beginning of the show, we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to us at watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. Yeah, I got it right this week. <laughs> I wondered, like, should we just record that front section and just reuse it every week? Like, we do it live, but I guess we could. I don't know. People could tell a different audio quality or something, but... It adds character when you mess up. It does. It does. Absolutely. It's like a test. This week, can I remember who I am and all my pseudonyms? Let's start with the most er, the most recent news. Uh, it seems like we have a title for Spider-Man Homecoming, the sequel. Uh, last night, Tom Holland did this video on Instagram that we think is a phony baloney, oops, I made a mistake, kind of tongue-in-cheek deal, uh, where he revealed that the title is Spider-Man Far From Home. Adam, are you enjoying this title? Does it seem like a good idea, or uh, how are you feeling about it? The title itself, um, I suppose I could care less about it. I, you know, it's not something that really stood out. It's not like Spider-Man, hey, look, it's Carnage, or something like that, you know? Um, at this point, Tom Holland is just like a marketing guru type thing, right? He, it's, it's, all, it's all set up. After maybe maybe the first couple were were stuff or were were real real leaks I guess, but now it's just got to be like, hey everyone thinks he always flubs up. Let's give him something to do. It's brilliant. And if it actually was a leak, I apologize. But regardless, it's pretty solid. It's a title. And you know we can stop calling it prom now. I remember not being overwhelmed by Homecoming, so, and now I'm just used to it, so I'm sure it's great. The only part I liked, I didn't realize it till I said it out loud, I was like, Far From Home, that's just like such a nothing title, and I was like, oh hey, I told my wife, I was like, it looks like the new Spider-Man movie's gonna be called Far From Home, you know, the sequel to Homecoming, I was like, oh, they did something with Home there, right, like... I kind of see like the extension that it was homecoming and then it was far from home. Uh, the next one will be Spider-Man homeward bound. Apparently it's going to have yes, the dogs and cats that. trying to make their way back. <laughs> yes. Uh, I feel like maybe that was a generational miss for Rhiannon. Did you not watch the homeward bound? <laughs> no, <movies? laughs> no, no. I was just on thinking through where else they could go with it and you know how you were really on the ball. I mean, that was my first thought when I saw it was, Oh, they're tying in the word home. Did you see uh, Boss Logic's new, uh, what do you call it, fan art? Not concept art, but he came up with a poster. It's like uh, space, and there's like dust, and it's the Spider-Man logo, and it's a Spider-Man not coming home. I'm like, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> uh, Next bit of news. Let's talk about... Um, all right, there was an announcement this... Well, not announcement. Variety has reported that... The good folks over at Sony are working on a new Spider property. So we know we're getting Venom. They tell us we're maybe getting Morbius. Silver and Black seems on hiatus. Now the latest thing we're hearing is Silk is going to be the next uh, thing. 
And every headline I've seen is Korean American superhero Silk coming to the Sony Spider-Verse. Uh, Rhiannon, when you see this announcement, is there any excitement about this? Any thoughts when you saw that they're going to have a Silk spinoff in this Spider-Verse? No, no. I, at this point, I just assume all of the Sony Spider-Verse stuff is fake news. Until I see a trailer. So I'm not rushing off to read up and figure out who Silk is. Uh, this is, uh, first, when when I saw the news, it was the same reaction. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, that type of stuff. It was bonkers, though. So in some of the, uh, the comic groups on Facebook I'm on, like, last week, I know her first appearance was in, like, uh, I don't know, one of uh, Spider-Man's, like, original Sentai comics, and it was going for, like, four bucks. And then yesterday I saw two of them sell for over 60. So, I mean, there must be a lot of fan fans wanting Cindy Moon. I, I don't know. It's, it's another one of those. And then Silver and Black, there was news this week that that's delayed, delayed for sure or something. Right? Or am I making that up? I thought I saw a different headline this week. Uh, I didn't notice it. If it did, Sony announcements are starting to feel like DC announcements. Like, oh, you guys wanted to get in, you know, to get on websites. So you announced a 15th movie that you're not going to make. You know, they're already making me doubtful of the like, is this going to happen? Is it not? Because, I mean, the Venom movie is happening, but they're already talking about a Venom sequel before it even comes out. Silver and Black was pumped up and then has been shelved. I just don't believe that they're going to make a Morbius movie. I think it would be a good idea, but I just I can't see it happening. So this seems like, again, yeah, it, it seems like fake news. It's hard to believe. Um, I also thought, do you remember when Black Panther came out and we said, just watch the movie studios will all just like fall over themselves to like pick up new properties that are like characters from different backgrounds because they'll think that that's just a magic bullet this stuff from variety comes from Sony, right? So I have no doubt that Sony is the one who originally told variety, Hey, we're going to do a Korean American, you know, like it totally feels to me like this is Sony trying to get their sort of ethnic niche that they want to reach out to. And, and don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean she's a bad character. It doesn't mean I don't want to see her. And it doesn't mean that that wouldn't be a great thing potentially for Korean American audiences. Like, I'm not trying to be down on it. It's just the whole way that this thing was sold with her, like ethnicity is the very first thing in the news that suggests to me that this is a result of black Panther that Sony's like, Oh, minority superheroes are hot right now. Let's figure out what we own that could fit into that. And that's what they went with. Does it might be way too cynical there. Or does that kind of feel like it's a possibility? I think you're right on. I mean, I think I think especially also with the potential Miss Marvel news and the Kamala Khan, like the way that was received and everything, that Sony is probably just like, who do we have rights to? That's different. Um, so I'm with you. Yep. Uh, we held off the business news all the way to the third news story. <laughs> so obviously this week uh disney made a new offer of 71 billion dollars for the fox assets 
goes up to $38 a share. It's going to be a mix of cash and stock. Um, Fox board said that they had approved the deal, but it still has to be voted on by shareholders. There is talk that Comcast will probably counter bid and make an even higher bid, but that has not happened officially yet. I have not seen an official comment from Comcast on any of this stuff. Um, from my reading, one of the challenges for Comcast is they are a more leveraged company, so they're going to have to start coming up with money that might be harder for them to come by. Um, it looks good right now, but I feel like it could change any minute. Um, some relief when you guys saw this this week that the Disney made that big counteroffer. Well, it was it was very relieving. So. Bloomberg had the two articles almost back to back, right? They they reported that uh, that Disney upped their bid, but then just a few hours later, they also released a report that it's already close to antitrust approval. So I'm not sure what their sources on that was, but yeah, I mean uh, that's kind of moving quick. I thought. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely seems to be part of what Disney wants to do now is to say, not only are we giving you $71 billion, but we're giving you $71 billion in a month. The, even if the other guys offer $75 billion, it's $75 billion 6, 12, 18 months from now, and that deal might fall apart. Having that regulatory approval in hand is a chip, it seems like they're they're excited to use. So, We'll talk about it next week, probably. Isn't there a vote scheduled? Isn't there a shareholder vote, or has that already passed? It has been delayed. Okay. It was weird, because when we first got the news, that felt like good news for Disney, right? That they were going to vote yes or no on it. But then, as soon as Disney made this bid, that's when Fox took that vote off the table. So, I don't totally understand what's going on. The other thing I don't get is, last week we heard... That if Comcast was agreed to have a superior bid, that Disney had five days to respond. And then Disney ups it and they accept Disney's deal at a board level, but apparently Comcast has forever to respond. Like, I don't understand how any of these things work. Can we just vote on this and get it over with? As we've said many times before on the podcast, like this back and forth stuff. But it, it'll go on forever in as much as Fox makes more money every time somebody makes a new bid. And so you can see where Fox is willing to stretch this out to try to, you know, raise that price as much as they can. Uh, so this was a bizarre little story earlier in the week. Um, Chris Pratt was asked uh, about his character and how he's going to be in Guardians 3 if his character got uh, dusted at the end of Infinity War. And he said, well, did you ever think that it would take place before Infinity War? And so everyone for about 12 hours was like, oh no, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to be a prequel to Infinity War. And then James Gunn came out and said, no, it's not true. <laughs> I assume we do not want to see a whole lot of returns to a pre-dusted, like, I, they've talked that this is why the Netflix shows aren't going to have disappearances from Thanos. It's just, it all happens to happen before Infinity War. I, I don't think... Do you guys want to see much of this, like, pre-Infinity War era movies, or we need to keep moving into the future? Keep moving into the future. We got... We have to see the, the, the fallout between 
Gamora and Groot and Rocket. I mean, I'm still not convinced that the pre-snap people will come back. You know, so if Gamora is dead, dead, you know, it'd be very interesting to see how Quill reacts to that. At least I would be very interested to see that. My guess is not particularly well. You know, <laughs> given what we saw in Infinity War, he is uh, probably not. not handling these things well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, other little bits of news. Uh, there is a new rumor. I think this was MCU Cosmic, maybe that had this, that the Eternal Kronos is going to appear in Avengers Four. Um, that would seem to make sense. Kronos obviously means time, and so a time-based character would make sense, and it would seem to go with the Eternals. Uh, Rhiannon, as someone who I'm sure does not have a deep knowledge of the Eternals, do you want to see them introduced in Avengers 4 so that you're ready for them in their own movie, or should they just wait and let them be introduced how do you feel about the way that they've sort of introduced characters in Avengers movies and then come back and given them solo movies after their introduction? No, I, I love the way the MCU gradually brings characters along. You know, I, I like the introductions. And um, I mean, I feel like Avengers 4 has to be, you know, it's kind of the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. So... I expect that there'll be new characters. I mean, we only—I mean, we know Captain Marvel's going to be in it, but this will be after we've seen her in her own movie. Um, I feel like in general we have to see some new beginnings, and um, yeah. And if it's one of the internals, go ahead and start getting me up to speed. Because even though it's not Sony, I don't see—I might start reading the Eternals, but we'll see. And you want to see the Eternals show up in Avengers 4? Yeah, why not? I think it'd be a, a very cool lead-in. I'm not sure, you know, what their movie would look like. I think it'd be almost kind of interesting having them have to put Thanos on trial or some sort like that, should he survive. But I don't, yeah, why not introduce them as soon as possible? I mean, I want very, very... um what do you say it unique characters in the MCU so I mean if I want to see Darkhawk in the MCU at one point you know I should probably be okay with the Eternals at some point you know um, last bit of news uh, we've been getting uh, little leaks all week about sort of the short list for who um, is going to get to direct the Black Widow movie uh, it, uh, the list I think has all been female directors so far uh, the challenge for me on all of this stuff is that I don't, I haven't seen any of these movies. So the list I have here is Kate Shortland, Ama Asante, Kimberly Pierce, and Maggie Betts. They did movies like Bell and Boys Don't Cry and Novitiate. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Um, does this does this news like hit your guys' radar at all? Or the only thing I take from it is, hey, they're moving along on a Black Widow movie. But at this point, I don't know any Marvel directors before they make something for Marvel, I feel like. Pretty much. Um, I mean, at this, at, at what rate are we going to get an official confirmation? You know, they don't have a, a Comic-Con presence this year. 
Uh, and D23 is next year, but isn't that in the fall or is that earlier in the year? Uh, historically it's been in June, I think, but I have no idea because I think it moves. Yeah. Last year it was two weeks before San Diego. I, I mean, and we still haven't gotten the official San Diego. I mean, just because there's not a Marvel Studios, I, I, I just can't believe that on the 10 year anniversary of Marvel Studios, they aren't going to have something. There's something that's going to be. If it's not at San Diego, they have to have something where they announce the name of Avengers 4 and confirm if, if or confirm this Black Widow movie. You know, there's got to be something coming where we get Feige telling us details. Assuming that we're right, that that movie is due to come out in August of 2021, no, 2020, then that means it probably has to start filming next July or August, which would mean casting will happen next May or June. So, I, you know, I think they can wait until Thanksgiving or Christmas to give us um, director and all that kind of stuff. But I think you're right, Rhiannon. I think... I don't think they're going to do a big dump like the El Capitan deal that they did years ago, but it does feel like they're moving towards making their own thing. I mean, if I'm Marvel and, well, I'll tell you what would be brilliant is you launch your streaming service in the spring of 2019 and day one of the streaming service is a live event announcing Marvel's new slate and it's only available to subscribers to Mouseflix, right? I mean, you would hand over your nine ninety nine immediately to be able to be the first people to see that, I think. You know, like, it would not surprise me if they tie those things together. Or they just start doing, like, the Apple thing. I mean, Apple doesn't charge for it, but, right, the big Apple presentations they do every six months, they stream it on their website, and they get millions and millions of people who watch the release of the new iPhones online. I mean, I could see a major online event where people are tuning into marvel.com and they're selling ad spots and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they don't have enough money. They only made $2 billion on infinity war. Clearly they have to find one more way to pull change out of my pocket. So, but it wouldn't surprise me if they find something that's a, a company initiative to share all this information, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see some major announcement, coming i mean them taking the stage coming and i'm still holding out hope that maybe in san diego they'll have some special event other stuff uh we had set visits from ant-man and the wasp i don't feel like there was tons of great information there but if i miss something you guys can tell me uh, it seemed like the least interesting events that or least interesting set visits we've seen uh, we did find out that there will be a connection between Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp at some point. Uh, we also have gotten our first reviews of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and it's been really positive. Uh, the main Marvel presence at San Diego Comic-Con is going to be Iron Fist. And uh, so there you go, Iron Fist. And uh, apparently Spider-Man is going to get a new costume for Spider-Man Far From Home. Because uh, according to the designer, that he is becoming more like a man in that sh uh, that movie, and seasons two of Runaways has begun production, which is I think expected. Any of those news things strike you in any way, shape, or form? Anything interesting? 
What a year. The biggest Marvel presence is Iron Fist. Yeesh. So the second I saw that, Adam, I, I, I built this narrative in my mind that there is some poor boy that grew up in like Nairobi or something who his whole life has been saving up his money a penny at a time so that someday he could finally go to San Diego Comic-Con as like this lifelong experience of, of fandom. And he's like, Oh, Avengers four is going to come out and Captain Marvel. It'll be the, oh, it'll be the most, it'll be the 10th anniversary of Marvel. It'll be the most exciting San Diego Comic-Con ever. And so 20 years of saving up money has come behind and this poor young peasant from somewhere you know in, in in africa is going to come over to san diego to finally experience comic-con and the news comes out that the only thing that's going to be there is iron fist and he just starts cursing and like <laughs> banging on his computer like no two decades of work and toil for iron freaking fist so um, well okay and and <laughs> Okay, one Nairobian guy that saved up all your money and all that. Like, I'll be there with my buddy Shelby. So, you know, like, you can hang out and, like, pretend to be excited about Iron Fist with us. Because we're legitimately going to be excited about Iron Fist. I'm going to convince myself of that by the time I get there. Um, but two, I mean, that's pretty much confirming Iron Fist before Daredevil. That Iron Fist... I mean, this is the first Netflix premiere. I tweeted this the other day. This is the first time we've had a Netflix show premiere where they have not confirmed what the next show is. Never mind the date for the next show. It also pretty much confirms that we'll get a trailer at San Diego at the latest. At the latest? I mean, I'm surprised we haven't gotten anything yet. Speaking of which, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen a Captain Marvel trailer yet. I mean, Black Panther came out. We got a mid-June trailer, and there was the NBA Finals, which is kind of a unique thing for them. But still, I, I mean, the great thing is Marvel doesn't have to advertise their movies anymore. I mean, at this point, their own movies are ad advertisement enough, I think, for their future properties. But uh, it'd be interesting to see when Captain Marvel kicks on. What's What's the last MCU movie that we got that had no MCU trailer ahead of it? Like Infinity War, at least I got Ant Man and the Wasp. Then Black Panther, I got Infinity War. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if there is such a. Th I mean, um, well, I know what it is. Ant Man when it came out um, in July of 2015, there wasn't a Civil War trailer yet, and Civil War was the next film that dropped. So Ant Man would be the last time that we <laughs> didn't get a trailer. So. It's not a good That's omen. only been three years ago. They put out movies real fast now. <laughs> they do. Right. Uh, Michael T. Ford was thinking that the uh, Captain Marvel trailer will hit the week Ant-Man and the Wasp comes out, which is next week. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp comes out 12 yeah. days from now, so <laughs> hopefully that'll come quickly. Uh, let's jump into TV stuff. So, Rhiannon, we did not talk Legion last week. Are you ready to talk about Legion I now? I am ready. Uh, yes. This is heavy spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled on Legion, do not listen to this. Uh, so let's just cut to the chase. David's evil. Huh? I guess so. I, yeah. I, yeah, I guess so. I, 
they laid a pretty clear case of him not being a good person. I'm always slow to accept this. I mean, I'm just like, this is in real life and everything. Like, when there's a person that I thought was good, and you get all the facts that are like, they're bad, I'll still be over here going, but, but I want them to be good. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, all season they were kind of playing this, is he good, is he bad, is he good? And so, it was kind of my assumption that they were just messing with us. And so when they get to the spot at the end of the episode where it's like, no, he's a bad, like, and, you know, to be fair, I don't think they would say he's a bad guy. I mean, they talk about him having some illness and some trouble and needing help. But the way at the end, he just got defiant and nasty and, like, left sidebar. Does he kiss Aubrey Plaza at the end? I think so. Okay. Do you have a brother, Rhiannon? No. If you had a brother in another psyche <laughs> cousins, took over his uh, body, yeah, yeah. would you be willing to kiss that person? Because I have a sister, and if some entity took over her body, I don't care what entity it is. I'm not. I'm not making out with my sister. You know, like there was a, a grodiness about that that was very disturbing to me. I don't think it was their point, but it was bothering me very much. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they made it very easy to forget that she's in his sister's body. Because, like, I didn't even catch where you were going with that. I was like, I mean, they've been close, but they've always been kind of romantic. But yeah, yeah, there is a grodiness to that. I think they did a smart thing in that the things that he does in the last episode, to me, the line that really made it hit home. Like, I was kind of on his side a little bit. Like, no, you guys are just like, you're being too harsh on him. You're being too difficult. And then when Sid looks at him and she goes, you drugged me and slept with me. It was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. And that's pretty much where we're off the David train. Like, I feel like they were very smart to create a moment that was so horrendous that the fans would go with it. You know, they would be like, yeah, David's a problem now. And I thought it was clever to do that. It wasn't like he... It wasn't murder. It wasn't like that he, you know, killed a lot of people or became a despot or something like it was something that was very personal and gross. And it connects it to issues that are going on in culture and the Me Too movement and all that stuff. I thought that was very intelligent the way they kind of developed that. Definitely. Yeah. And and I mean, I think the Internet exploded over that, like some of the 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 deep discussions that I almost missed because I watched it a little bit later. Um but I like that they said it very clearly. This is a crazy kind of, I don't know if brave is the right word, but this is a gutsy, I mean, to take your main character and just totally flip it to where he is now, he is the bad guy of the show. And you almost like Shadow King all of a sudden, you know, like the reversal of roles. I, I was just caught going like, I can't, is that what that was? Like, I almost had to watch it again to believe that they took that many risks with a property like this. You know, you hear a lot about a complex villain. One, I thought in the comics he was a bad guy. Like, I thought when this show first premiered, a lot of folks were talking like, well, Legion, but he's kind of a bad guy. So I've kind of expected it to turn bad at any point. But I think it's a, a subject that's very timely and that nobody thinks of themselves as a villain. You know, nobody sets out... I mean, or no... Very few people. I mean, I, I think there are people that sort of, you know, you have those that enjoy 
being bad because being bad is cool or whatever. But in your own story, you never perceive yourself as the villain. And they did a really good job of framing that of, you know, we've been following the story and he's not a villain. He's not a villain. He's not a villain. Oh, yes. He is. So um, I, I think it's a very timely message for some other things in the world. And it was a crazy brave place to go with it. I almost want to rewatch the first two seasons now. But at every scene be like, but he's not a really good guy, you know, like to try to rewatch how much nuance there is there of him having issues and having problems. Um, and it, the thing is they could have just made it mental illness, right? They could have just said David is mentally ill, but I feel like they pushed it further to that, that he does some things that are unexcusable regardless of what he's dealing with. And I think, I mean, you can't look at it from day one. Because like I said, I did kind of look at it from day one. Because for some reason I had it in my head that he was supposed to be a villain. And, but I mean, not everything in the world is black and white. This is the good guy. This is the bad guy. I mean, that's what's so great. The Netflix shows go there in so many ways. You have Wilson Fisk short of bashing people's heads in. the The story there where, you know not entirely bad not entirely good like you can't it's not always so black and white as who is good and who is bad though it's a lot more comfortable to think that it is now let me ask did you feel like this episode wrapped up season two enough or were there still things where you're like wait a minute you know like mystery boxes that did not get that went unopened so to speak i feel it wrapped up enough for me, like I didn't, I I think if I rewatched, I might come away with questions like, why did we need the big lizard, egg hatch thing, or you know, like. But, I'm good right now. Are you? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I feel like is subtle. So, like, what was the Minotaur? Right. I think it's a representation of Gene Smart's like hidden rage over the way that Oliver has treated her over the years. I think that's what that's supposed to be. But I don't think anybody ever explained that to me in a way that seems totally sensible, you know? Yeah. There was also all the stuff about delusions and the chapters, like in the different episodes, it'd be like chapter one, chapter yeah. two. And they would talk about delusion and hysteria. They got, I mean, they, they kind of talked about it, but so in the end, is the delusion that David is sane, I guess, is the delusion that they were talking about, but how that attaches to that tar bird and why he entered certain people's ears when he did. Like, I just, I'm not sure I totally understood all of that. Does that make sense? Like, it, it still feels a little hazy. And if they held my hand and, like, did exposition-a-thon to make it make sense, I don't know if I'd like it better. Right. But sometimes I just still felt lost a little bit as to exactly where they were going. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I that, And that's where I'm like, I'm sure there's things that if I watched it five times, I would finally understand or it would all tie together. But I don't want them to hold my hand. Um, so as I'm watching it, I don't try to keep track of all those little details. Now, we did talk about time travel last week. Did you like the device of Oliver um, and... Her name's Jean Smart in real life. What's the character's name? Um, 
Um, Melanie. Melanie. Did you like Oliver and Melanie in the ice cube talking from the future about what happened in the past? Like that device I thought was interesting. Did you, did you like the way they did it? Or does that, I don't know, for me, it kind of sets the future in a way that scares you or, you know, like it makes it feel like what's happening in real time can't be fixed. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think it can be fixed. I hope it can be fixed. I, and I, I mean, that would, that jump start to show you the end. I mean, I think that's, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going back to the ice cube. I love how they lose sense of like time and yeah, there, it was, it's so zany when they're in there. And I liked both of them in there that Melanie yeah. just being just as lost as he was in the first season, I think is pretty, uh, is pretty interesting. So I just have to say the fight at the very beginning with behind blue eyes playing was amazing. Yeah. That, you know, showing that mental battle, the music, the, the going into French, um, it was, it was great. Did you like the animation style too? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's one of those stylistic things, you know, like it's a heavily stylized animation. So I'm like, is this really good? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure if the idea is for it to look, it's not to be photorealistic, you know, like it's supposed to be expressive. And I think that's. Yeah, to me, I mean, to me, it felt like an epic battle animation. I, I don't know. that. Very basic. You're at your last straw. Here's here's just nothing left but these two monochromatic, you know, this is the side, this is that side. And they, I, I don't know. I just very much, yeah, I liked the animation. It was very simple, but I think that served a purpose. Yeah. It took me back to... Um... Shadow King and Professor X have battles like that in like the astral plane or wherever in the X-Men animated series, the Shadow King and Professor X go at it like that. And so that also warmed my nostalgia, you know, sense inside to see the animation again. So it was pretty cool. All right, let's talk cloak and dagger, uh, cloak and dagger. Episode four is the most recent one. I think I sometimes get lost on this. Pretty sure that's it. Uh, it was the episode that was Tandy and uh, Tyrone talking back and forth in the church building, uh, intercut with what happened next. It also was the, uh, spoiler alert, the uh, the late departed boyfriend lawyer of Tandy's uh, mom, who got redeemed for approximately 14 minutes of the episode before he got shot in the head. We found out how serious Roxon is about uh, their kind of stuff. Um Adam, what'd you think of the episode? Do you have any thoughts on how we're, we're going with Cloak and Dagger? Yeah, the we talked about this last week. The editing is bizarre in a sense, you know? So the, I guess the, the main, I don't know if you want to call it storyline or the main timeline or, or what was them talking in the church, but then there were sometimes where it goes between their church conversation and it, maybe goes ahead almost like half a week or something you know i just thought the the timeline kind of got wonky with the editing because there's been like well like when greg gets shot in the head you know and then that's at night and then the next day and then another night and then so forth so i think that's uh, it's just kind of it's not as clean as it could be maybe i just wasn't paying that much attention to it um 
But yeah, I mean the stuff they're talking about in the this show, it's not uh it's a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be. And it, it it's very surprising. You know, especially like the the last 3 or 4 minutes how they essentially explode on each other and say stuff that they're going to regret and all that stuff and then Tandy and the pier and stuff. Um So yeah, it's it's doing some uh dark and gritty stuff you know um i mean it's a it's a really good watch i mean the the themes and and the stuff they have going on it's it's really solid so far it was um i mean you know weird stuff confluence in life uh i watched it pretty close to anthony bourdain passing away and so like when they started talking about the suicide stuff it was like can we, can we not do this today? You know, like, yeah. I mean, it, it's a depth of subject matter that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't even really up for on that particular day, you know, but full credit to them for actually talking about real difficult things. And um, it was interesting, too, when they had almost the uh, the like privilege off. I don't yeah. know how to put it, you know, like yeah, which one yeah, of us yeah. is in a worse position be, you know, is it worse to be a woman or an African-American man in America today? And I think some people are going to find that a little obnoxious, <laughs> but I also think it opens up interesting conversations. So it was really interesting because it Claire and Luke Cage kind of do the same thing in one of the early episodes, right? Like, mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of odd when these shows do things that bounce off each other, I feel like. so. I mean, and even if you go back to The Defenders, I mean, Luke pulled that with Danny. I don't hardly remember The Defenders. I was realizing as Luke Cage started, <laughs> I don't remember anything. that Like, I don't remember yeah. where Danny and Luke left off hardly, you know? So, well, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> Rhiannon, did you enjoy this episode of Cloak and Dagger? I did. I did. I mean, I think this episode, you know, I went into it kind of skeptical. I watched the first one. I was like, eh. But by this fourth episode, I was just like, this show is legit. It's good. Like, it's going places and and having these conversations. And I feel like I could recommend it to anybody. Um, I don't remember the details so much, but... I do remember the privilege off the little privilege spat that they had um, and how that moves forward. Adam talked about the editing. Do you, do you like this thing where they cut from like they're talking in the church to something that happens the next day and then back in the church? Like, is that cool or is it just gimmicky? It was a little bit off to me. Um, and I think that's one, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched the version that aired. I've only watched the press screener that came out a few weeks ago. And it was one of those things that I thought maybe they might fix by the time the final version came out. Um, I don't know, have either of you seen the final aired version? Uh, yeah. Whenever I watch the press ones, they say that this is the version that's going to go on air at the beginning, don't they? No, they say we hope you watch the final version that goes on air. Oh, I don't read it that carefully then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they're saying, please still give us some readings. The editing seemed off, the jumping around and all of that. And if they keep on that, it might be hard to follow. You know, it might get exhausting to keep up with the show. It did one thing. It did a good job of clearing up kind of what they saw in the visions. 
Um, and I totally, I guess it's probably my fault for not understanding it, but Tandy pointed out that she sees people's hopes and stuff. And the only thing she saw Ty do was getting shot by policemen or, or death oh, by cop. You yeah. Know? I'm like, oh, that is a good point. And that's, I think that's right before they had their argument at the end. Um, so it did a nice job of doing that, explaining the, the visions and what was going on in that. All right. So one a quibble for the week. Uh, she watched the law guy in his office for approximately 30 seconds across the street. And she knows that there's a secret vault with all of his secret papers because he opens and closes the vault in front of gigantic windows in a mini mall and the rocks on people too stupid to notice it, you know, have no idea that there's a, uh, a safe with special papers in the other room. That was a little annoying. <laughs> what Culligan guy delivers water like after end of day? Like, who's out here delivering water at, like, 9 p.m.? Yeah. One that's it... really behind on his route, Adam. <laughs> really behind. It's been a bad day. The thing that's stupid is it didn't make a lot of sense, but I was still shocked when they shot him. I don't know why. I was yeah. like, whoa, Roxxon's for real. Like, Roxxon's always been just such a side element, like in the Electra stuff of the Daredevil season, that I was kind of enjoying how, like, enemy of the state deep conspiracy like i kind of like that that part of the show coming in they're run by the hand <laughs> we better not get the hand in this show of course they're serious if we get uh what's his face the guy that's died six times on daredevil Bakudo? nobu oh no uh nobu yeah nobu if nobu shows up in new orleans turning the show off <laughs> i am not doing this anymore okay <laughs> I mean, there was, <laughs> as soon as they finished filming Defenders, um, Jessica Hennick that plays Colleen Wing, she posed, I mean, she was in New Orleans filming something. I do not think she's showing up in Cloak and Dagger, but I just, like, at the time I was like, huh, that's interesting that she went right to New Orleans to film something. Sounds like enough for, like, a rumor article on MarvelNewsDesk.com to me. It does. <laughs> the old connecting imaginary dots thing. We need we need at this point to be documenting all the fake rumors I start. I do want I know I think we talked about this. I can't maybe it was a slack convo. I really hope they kind of dig into like the voodoo aspect of it. I just think that'd be really good and we haven't really seen that yet. Obviously probably not the length of Brother Voodoo. I mean if they introduced Brother Voodoo on like Cloak and Dagger that'd be awesome. But then again, I also want to see him in Doctor Strange. But, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, and I'll, I'll say that, I mean, I'm going to say something about Luke Cage. It's in the trailer, so I don't think it's that big of a surprise. I mean, Luke Cage is starting to go a little bit that direction too, right? Yeah. So. True. All right, so we're going to talk about Luke Cage. And uh, I think what we've agreed to, well, we haven't figured out for sure what we're doing. We're going to talk today, I think, about three, the first three episodes uh, or try to keep it to roughly that. We'll try to be non-spoilery. We're going to kind of talk about the setup for the main conversation. And then we'll talk for the next couple weeks about Luke Cage a little bit at a time. Does that sound about right to you guys? Yeah. Sure. So, Rhiannon, you have seen the whole thing, correct? Yes. And Adam, have you finished or started it, finished it? Where are you at? <sighs> yeah, I've started it. Now, now you have me second-guessing myself. I think I'm through three. 
I'm pretty sure I'm through three. Yep, that's um, where I'm at. I squeezed through three, so. That's Mariah and Tilda, right? Is that three or is that two? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, three ends with. Uh, three ends with Luke getting sucker punched in the face. Him and Claire have oh, their big. I haven't fight. seen three. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen a little bit of three. Well, again, that funny. was in the trailer, right? You see the scene where Bushmaster just like walks oh, up yeah. to him and punches him in yeah, the face. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. the end of episode three. So, <laughs> but we'll talk. We'll talk pretty generically. So, Rhiannon, you are kind of our most Netflix. You are the queen of Netflix. How are you feeling about Luke Cage? And feel free, if you're going to be generic, just to talk about the series as a whole. Because it sounds like the first three episodes are not the same experience as the back ten for you. Well, yeah. I mean, so so you guys are feeling exactly what I felt in those first three. I mean, the only reason I'm as far as I am is because at some point I turned it on as, like, background noise. And I made it to a certain point where suddenly I was paying attention and cared and really watched um, and I don't remember where that clicked. I, I Half the time when I'm streaming this, I have no clue what episode I'm on. Anyways, it's just, you know, start another, start another. Um, this series is everything I wanted. Or, I mean, not everything I wanted, but it's what I wanted in a post-Defenders Netflix universe. I mean, in that first episode that you guys have seen... Um, I mean, it, there's references to things that happen in Defenders. There's interconnectivity between the characters. I mean, it's it's we've talked about it on previous podcasts that there is Iron Fist showing up at some point. Um, and it's everything. So all of my complaints, Luke Cage season one, I did not like. I mean, I liked it a whole lot up until a certain point, and then it went off the rails. And I had many complaints after that. And they pretty much, like, all the stuff I ranted about, without bringing back Cottonmouth back from the dead, which, spoiler alert, Mirshala Ali has become, like, an Oscar-winning actor. He's not showing up back here. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I was hoping for some kind of weird like Coulson resurrection. <laughs> I'm sorry, ruined the whole show. <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, they did a lot of the things that I was really upset that they didn't do in season one. They 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 challenged Luke in ways that I wanted him to be challenged. They confronted him in ways I was really scared of Bushmaster because I thought it was going to be another thing, like the Judas bullets where. You know, Luke Cage is strong. We just have to find something stronger and beat him up in the conventional way. It's just harder. And the series definitely doesn't go there. It um, And it's just enjoyable. Like, they balance all the side characters. They balance all the plot lines. It, um, it gets wrapped up. It, and yet it still, at the very end, left me slightly emotionally compromised. So... That is my spoiler-free feelings on Luke Cage. It is, through the uh, apparently two and a half episodes I've seen, <laughs> it is super, super connected. Right? Like, you can tell Tia watched the series. Yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of Defenders references. Like, Caleb, I totally forgot 
what actually happened in Defenders, and thankfully season two of Luke Cage is kind of helping me remember that. Um, and they're they're bringing in a lot of the uh, street level uh, heroes. Like we've gotten Cottonmouth, we've gotten Diamondback, we've gotten Bushmaster, and now Cockroach, who's apparently played by Misty Knight's real life husband. So. Yeah, I found that she posted on Instagram last night. And Piranha, yeah. right? That's a that's like a it's, yeah, Luke it's Cage their villain, club, like too, right? in uh, David and uh, David Walker in Sanford Sanford Green, right? Uh, the recent Parman and Iron Fist run. I mean, it was like that whole group against those two, plus Alex Wilder. But uh, yeah, it's super connected. Luke Cage, hashtag Luke Cage is all connected. I loved, I mean, you guys both hinted at this, uh, so I haven't seen Danny yet, but I've seen the episode with Colleen. Maybe there's more than one, but I see at least a episode with Colleen showing up. And it's a perfect cameo in that it's enough, but not too much of her, right? Like, we've talked about how it'd almost be cheap if it was like Misty walking through a grocery store and she's like, oh, hey, Colleen, and they like wave to each other in the cereal aisle and that's it. Like, that's too little. But also, like, it doesn't have to be a show about her. It makes sense that Misty and Colleen would get together and hang out and have a drink together and then not see each other for a while. You know, like, that's what friends do. And so, I don't know. Thus far, I'm liking that it was very natural the way Colleen came in and her involvement feels good and natural and exciting. So, And they do a few of the little cheap interconnectedness like and when i say cheap and that they did not hire the actor to show up like there's a couple points throughout the series where they call somebody on the phone but it connects the whole universe you know (laughs) right kind of like luke cage season one when trish was on his uh his headphones. Yeah, yeah. right. He's going for a job. She was on the first episode of the season too, wasn't she? I missed it. No, no, it wasn't. It was when I turned it on, they did like a two minute recap of season one. Cause I, I thought it was playing me the first episode yeah. and I was like, Oh, they have it starting with Trish again, but they did it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's very surprised me. The recap got me cause I clicked play and like uh cotton mouse in this middle of a monologue. I'm like, wait, what? But then it says yeah. skip recap. I'm like, aww. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. Uh, the Jamaicans. So the Jamaican gang is, or the Yardies, I think they call them, is a big part of the villains of this the show. Um, the Jamaican accents. Do you guys have a really hard time under, like, is it just me? Am I just not got an ear for it? Or do sometimes you turn on the subtitles when they have a scene that's the Jamaican guys talking to each other? Because... I have been struggling a little bit to make it through some of those dialogue scenes. I lived in the Caribbean for five months this winter. I, I learned a little bit of the island to speak. Uh, but I also watch all of these with closed captioning on. So, And it really frustrated me because the closed captioning like fixed some of their grammar. Like he used me instead of my, like I'm going to see me mama or me auntie or whatever. And like the closed captioning was just like, I'm going to see my aunt. I have noticed, do you guys remember when we watched Defenders and we talked about how the music was a little overdone as far as like every time Luke Cage is about to show up, they were going to hit hip hop music. 
Have you noticed on this one, every time Bushmaster shows up, it's like reggae, you know, like you hear like steel drums yeah. and it's like, hey, Jamaican guy come in and you're like, what? What, what is this? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I feel justified. Michael T. Ford feels like the accent was laid on a little fairly, a little thick every once in a while as well. So. Yeah, no, man. <laughs> I lived in the islands. Their accents are thick. Adam, I know you're a big Mariah fan from season one. Uh, are you enjoying how they've done her and particularly her in the relationship with uh, Shades? Mm. How are you feeling about how that's all set up? Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. It just feels weird, you know, like, I don't know. It just yeah I I don't know if I have thoughts on it. It's just kind of cringeworthy but intriguing. But ugh, you know I don't know. You know I I guess I don't mind unless something like crazy happens. You know it's, it's I never would have guessed they would have went in that direction. I suppose it just seems odd. But you love who you love, you know. So I. Sure, yeah. You know, I'm not judging is what I'm trying to say. It just seems unique. The big problem I have is why Shades keeps wearing sunglasses in Harlem's Paradise. Like, it's already dark the way it is, man. Like, what are you doing? I guess that's my biggest problem with Shades at the moment. Well, he wouldn't be Shades if he wasn't wearing Shades. Yeah, I know. But if you don't think about it, it makes my argument a lot easier to go by. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I, it is interesting. I'm, I'm sure Rhiannon's holding back now. No, no, I'm really not, because it really bothered me in that first episode or two as well. Um, it, it, And, I mean, that first episode, this intermixed with heavy, heavy use of the N-word, which I feel eases off. throughout. Either I became numb to it, or it eases off later in the series. Um, and it was just, like, I, I don't... it. The first episode felt a little, a little uncomfortable, but also like going back and being with a bunch of friends and those were the only two left in that circle. So of course they hooked up. Um, I don't know. I don't like Shades. He's just gross. I keep trying to figure out, I'm like, is Mariah playing him? Or like, I just assume it's not actually a loving relationship. Like I'm assuming that one of them is playing the other or both. And like... And so I'm just trying to figure out what that is. And I feel like Cheo wants us to, like, or Lucy Liu or who, you know, whether it's the director of the show, like, it is so, like, overtly weird sucking on fingers and stuff, you know, like, normal people don't do that. Like, they want us to be like, what's going on here? Like, that's supposed to make us uncomfortable, right? I think so. I mean, I wouldn't trust it. Be, yeah, I don't know. I did spit out my drink. I took a a drink of uh, my soda, and after uh, Shade shot the dude in the head, uh, Comanche's next line made me spit out my soda. I LOL'd hard. It's not podcast safe, but it's, <laughs> it's a pretty solid line at that moment. I didn't know that guy was a uh, he was like a Chiefs running back at one point. That actor. Oh really? I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. Yeah. Yeah, I, that scene, I'm still... Again, maybe they resolve it. I That scene didn't make total sense to me. Like, Shade's character trait has always been that he's cool under pressure. And so it's like, does he really love Mariah? And it made him angry, but I don't believe he actually loves Mariah. So, like, why did he shoot this guy? Like, there's a few choices that I'm hoping iron out, but maybe they don't. Maybe they just continue to be 
a little bizarre, so. Could you guys be more specific on what guy he shot? Because I'm trying to remember um, if there was... Arturo Gomez the third. Yeah, the furniture king. The furniture guy. guy. Okay. Alright. So Shade shoot Otherwise, Shade kills more than just the furniture guy is what she's saying. Uh, yeah, there's more, there's more deaths coming. <laughs> oh, that one! Okay, okay. Well, I mean, come on. I don't think that's a spoiler that Shades kills people. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, how, how can he be the uh, furniture king if no one's in his store during the day? That's what I was thinking of, is that somebody's sitting on an ottoman over in the corner like, oh, crap, what did I just walk into? <laughs> so it's called a front... Yeah, true. Okay, have you? It reminded me of that uh, big conspiracy theory that the uh, what is it like mattress king or whatever? <laughs> I got in a deep hole on Reddit one day. Those mattress stores you always yeah. see like in strip malls and stuff. There's a big conspiracy theory about how they're all fronts on Reddit, but that's just a sidebar. Yeah. Anytime when I'm in New York, anytime I go in a store and there's like nobody in there, I'm like, this is obviously a front. <laughs> yeah. We were always worried about uh, Chinese buffets where I went to college. It was out in the middle of nowhere and there'd be like 20 Chinese buffets that all had like just food and food and food and there'd be four people eating in them and we'd be like, what's going on here? It seems like that there's potentially some other business that's going on in this, this establishment. That's the hand. <laughs> Let's talk about Misty. So Misty is obviously coping with the fact she doesn't have an arm anymore. Um, obviously, you've seen different amounts, but we'll start with you, Adam. The way she's portrayed early on, do you like kind of her struggle to deal with that loss of an arm? Or is she just kind of mopey? Because I think I'm torn sometimes on how it feels, you know, that, that storyline. I didn't think she was too mopey, I guess. I thought she's, I mean, she's a badass. How is she, like, I really like that scene where uh, she stood up kind of to her, not subordinates, her colleagues at the police department after going back to work. Um, I thought that was really cool. I do not like her, um, former teammate, right? The detective she used to play basketball with. Yeah. I don't know the detective, what is her name like is, but I... Nadia yeah, I or something? Yeah, I don't like her. Um, I don't I think don't, we're supposed to like her, I don't her, think though. we're supposed to like her. True. Um, yeah, I think Luke's being a lot more mopey than Misty has. I'm not sure if I like, uh, I don't know. Luke's just felt kind of off the first couple of episodes. He needs that charisma again. We talked about Legion and this idea of what happens when your hero kind of becomes not heroic. I feel like, I mean, Rhiannon, are they playing a little bit in the same waters of like, I think they want us to feel like Luke is losing his way a little bit. The way that second episode ends where he beats the tar out of cockroach and like his, his girlfriend and his kid are like terrified of Luke in the corner. It's interesting to me that they kind of take this approach of is Luke going too far? Like, is he letting his anger take control of him? Definitely. I mean, I I think they definitely um, had that, and I, I, I'm just trying to remember. So the beating up cockroach was episode two in front of yeah. his yeah, wife and kid. Yeah, it's the end of, it's, um, yeah, it's the last thing in episode two. Yeah. So, and then in episode three, he had to face Claire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, 
Yeah, I think there is a lot of this. Because also he doesn't have, like, pops there to help him, you know, sort things out. And, um, but like I said, like I said, when we were talking about Legion, like, there is a lot of that. In the Netflix universe, we have a lot of this, you know. Our, our good guys are messed up. Um, and Luke's one of the closest to being, like, a genuine good guy. But he is walking a line there. So I was sold on Luke and Claire as I've never been sold before. Like I was starting to actually like buy uh-huh. it as kind of a relationship. Uh, do you guys like that element to the series that he has like that domestic relationship, romantic subplot as a piece of the season? I guess I never thought of it. I suppose I, that does bring, so that kind of segues way into coffee. I didn't know coffee was just kind of a general euphemism. But Bushmaster knows the coffee stuff? I guess I had never heard of the whole coffee thing before Luke Cage, so maybe I'm a sheltered island kid. Yeah, I think it's in in cultures that you may not regularly be around, Adam. I think that's kind of the idea. I could be wrong. I don't either. I've never heard it outside of Luke Cage. There are some stuff, and especially in those, those early episodes, I felt where it was kind of... There's one point, and I don't even remember what it was specifically, where like I thought they broke the fourth wall. Where it was so just like a wink to the audience. And I mean, because there's some, and I, it was something simple like Luke looking and him going like, I am, you know, I'm the hero of the story or, you know, something like that. But. Oh, he was, uh, he was talking into that kid's camera. No, like the, it was uh... some point when the kid wasn't with him with the camera, but I, it, that's what I'm saying. Just some of the stuff, and maybe it was that, that kid was following him with the camera. Therefore, you know. He wasn't really breaking the fourth wall, but um, I don't know. I felt like there were a lot of winks to the audience, and I just assumed coffee was that, not that I missed a whole cultural reference, but maybe I did. I, I mean, I was going to say, I couldn't believe that the uh, NFL combine scene. That's what that I was going to bring about, up, yeah. That that was real? It was like, that. it's yeah. very unfortunate that Jamel, Jamil Hill and um, Michael Smith were talking about a show that doesn't exist anymore. Like, I don't think Cheo realized how fast that turnaround was going to come. So. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I was going to bring up, like, does an NFL team sign him in the season? Because a dude with that size that can run a three seven forty should be making bank in the NFL. And you can tell by the way his body moves, he's not running that fast. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, and obviously he didn't have like a 40 foot broad jump or whatever. So I, I, that whole thing was a little, it was just corny. Like I was not, it took me out of the show for real, you know, to like have that whole well, goofy they, yeah, cartoon. They even thing. brought Todd Bowles in and I'm like, whoa, okay. So they're actually getting some actual NFL people. In. Yeah. I like how in the beginning of the episode, they say he runs a three, seven And then like later in the episode, he goes to run to cockroaches house. And it's not that fast at all. He's like running a six second 40. Yeah. There's people who like look at him and then like slowly step to the side and then he runs past yeah. them, you know, like. You guys are going to hate the whole second half of the season where Luke joins the NFL then. <laughs> uh, I know that there's no way that Jeff Loeb has the budget for licensing to get uh, actual NFL deals, so. That, no I mean, you know, like I said, there is some balance between the good and the bad, but you know what? What they called they called they used the Jets, but it was didn't the sign say Harlem Jets instead of like New York Jets? Yeah, right? yeah, I didn't. <laughs> it was like a joke. I didn't even understand yeah. what they were talking about. So uh, Luke Stad is introduced in the show. I 
it kind of felt like it was just dropped. Like all of a sudden he was looking at this guy and he's like, Hey dad. And I'm like, Oh wow. That's his father. Well, and I uh, even, do you guys like, I had to remember. Cause I was like, did we meet him in the first season? Did we have flashbacks where we knew him in the first season? But I guess we didn't. There were flashbacks with him. He was in the church. It was that really weird sequence where he's like, Stryker says he's my brother, but I don't have a brother. Oh yeah, now I remember all those times when my dad did weird stuff with the secretary, and it was obvious that I had a brother. Yeah, you know, like he just like suddenly well, remembered. Yeah, that. wasn't it on the uh, trip to the acid bath? Or yes. I think it was around that time, maybe. Yeah, I, I tried to forget those episodes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do, are you guys enjoying that character though? That element in there of of Luke's. Um, father and all that kind of stuff. I really liked his sermon about the two wolves. I thought that was very fitting and could apply to nearly everyone in most situations. So I really liked how that was overlaid with uh, Claire and all the other stuff that was going on. With the father, I was very hesitant, especially in those first episodes. Um, you know, my, my feelings on him would totally depend on where he goes. You know, if it turns into another Diamondback situation, I have no use for him. I enjoyed, I like that he's a complex character. Like we want to kind of be like Luke and hate him and think that like he caused a lot of problems, but then he kind of defies being a simple bad guy. And like he kind of, the, when he talks to Claire, particularly, it shows that he has some kind of wisdom and empathy and you realize that probably Luke is not being totally fair to the situation either. And so I enjoyed that complexity I also like that he's not a Father Latham, like, copy. That, like, because they're different kinds of preachers or priests, that they have very different ways of communicating. Like, I that's a little nuance that I thought was pretty uh, well done and pretty good. All right, do you have any more Luke Cage stuff to talk about before we wrap up for this week? I can't wait till you guys get further. And we can talk about more. You binged it? I thought you said you weren't going to binge it. And then I did. I mean, I didn't even plan. So, like, I didn't set an alarm or anything. I just happened on Friday morning to wake up at 2.45. As you <laughs> I do. just happened to wake up at the butt crack of dawn. That's, that's normal As you do. You. So, that's, you know, I got, like, I mean, I watched most of the first episode, and then I just fell back asleep. I watched it on my phone. Um, and then, I mean, like I said, I just sort of had it on as background noise for the first few episodes. I mean, I was kind of watching, but kind of doing other things. Um, until it just grabbed me and the weather yesterday was kind of cold and grungy. So next thing I know, I had watched the whole season. I feel like we've been through this before, Rhiannon. Isn't this like the fourth Netflix series in a row where you're like, I'm not going to binge it. This time I'm going to take it slow. And then by Sunday we're like, oh, you've seen it all, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, um... I'm not good at the slow burn and the, and the take. Well, also I get there. I mean, like I could totally, like I would enjoy this one. I wouldn't enjoy Jessica Jones. I would have enjoyed Punisher all as a weekly, but I don't want to get spoiled. Like I want to be able to. So as soon as I know somebody, and I think Michael T. Ford was the one that was like, okay, I've made it to the end. Who's ready to talk? You know, as soon as I know that there's somebody out there that's seen it, I start getting worried that I'm going to get spoiled. So I get a little more interested in speeding through it. I mean, I don't know if they'll be that concerned at all for Iron Fist. Like, Adam will watch it, and I will watch it. And I'm sure a couple of other people will watch it. But, um, 
when Daredevil season three comes out, I'm taking that day off work, and you can guarantee that 13 hours later, I'll have seen it all. All right, I didn't prep this ahead, so we have to read this a bit as it goes. Uh, Love Waffle had left some comments on the website about the Fox deal and uh, how uh, it might affect Paramount Pictures. I don't totally. Um, uh, it's just talking about the potential of a deal there um, and all those maneuverings and that kind of stuff. Uh, Dave commented about Namor's rights. Um, oh, and the possibility. Oh, so one of the things that's being talked about is uh, so Comcast owns Universal. So is there a possibility that we could get Namor and the Fantastic Four in a Hulk property because Universal has the distribution rights to Hulk? And so that is very interesting. I do not know how all those things um, go down. So I think that's be interesting. Um, he talked about time travel in the MCU and was uh, talking about how it does uh, sometimes can cheapen things if you use it to undo mistakes that you've made. Um, so he doesn't want them to use time travel to prevent Thanos from getting all the stones, but having, um, but that they would maybe go to some other higher entity to try to get uh, that taken care of. Again, I'm not reading this well because I'm just looking at it the first time. I thought this was really interesting. Chris was suggesting that with the uh, the Thai um, the Tyrone uh, voodoo doll that the woman was prepping that and she's about to prep a uh, dagger doll as well because she knows there's always a divine pairing there's always two I think we did see in the previews I think it's the voodoo lady that explains to them some of the kind of more mystical parts of what's going on with their powers so uh, and he talked about how uh, much he liked the visions as well um, uh, talking about time travel uh, he's just kind of interesting on how they go about doing time travel, wondering if the Cree monoliths could be involved. Again, I'm just reading this quick. Uh, and also there's all that barf stuff. So, um, And he also agreed with Adam that if they get Kang, that they need time to develop that character because he's a an important complex villain in the comics. Uh, Michael T. Ford has been cruising along with us Um on the po uh, podcast as we've live recorded and he had oh he had a really good question I thought uh, do you guys think that a Marvel convention would be a big deal like we talked about how Marvel's not going to be at San Diego uh, if there was going to be a Marvel convention that was all Marvel stuff like Star Wars Celebration would you be buying tickets would be flying to it do you think that's something you'd be all about yeah yeah I think so I mean they, they could do I mean, just content-wise, they they would have plenty for a convention. You'd have movies, TVs. I mean, animation. They're supposed to. Uh, well, they're gearing up for that. Uh, games. They're really. I mean, even mobile games and stuff. They're they're really starting to do a lot more with that. So I'd totes be in. Yeah, I think it's it's just a matter. I mean, I I feel like if Star Wars can handle it, Marvel should be able to because. You know, Star Wars has the movies, and then they've done some comics and books and stuff, but it seems like Marvel has the movie world, they have the TV world, they have the comic books, uh, they have cartoons, they've got games, toys, as you are saying, Adam. You know, like, there's so many parts to it that I think they should be able to put off a, a cool convention, so. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast. You guys can interact with us lots of ways. Send us messages on Twitter at Marvel News Desk or communicate with us via SoundCloud. Well, not via SoundCloud. Blah, blah. Uh, communicate with us via our MarvelNewsDesk.com posts each week. Let's just delete that right out of the script. If you want to support the show, give us a buck a month over at Patreon.com slash Marvel News Desk. You can also access our special MCU film ranking episode that's available only to our Patreon supporters, uh, as well as early access to some of our videos. Like us on Facebook or Facebook.com or subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's at watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. You also can help the show be more visible if you'd like to give us a five-star review over at iTunes. Uh, We're on a whole bunch of different podcasting um, apps now, so make sure you've subscribed via your favorite one. Uh, The number one thing you do every week, though, is you listen and you tell your friends, and we really appreciate it. Thanks to Tim Cox for our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Tim V. Cox. And thank you to Alvin for the theme music. He's on a variety of social media platforms at The Skull School. That does it for this week. Uh, I'm not sure what we'll do next week. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is the week after that, so we'll figure it out. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk to you later.